Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. I'm Lyndon Sayers, pronouns he, him. And I am Boston. My name is Boston. I'm another one of the co-hosts, and my pronouns are also he, him. Well, Boston, we've talked about making a podcast for a long time. And here we are in a recording booth at CFUV in beautiful uh, UVic in Victoria, BC. And it's happening. Finally, yeah. How long has it actually been? It's been like a year. <laughs> We've been talking well, about, hasn't it? Or most good ideas need a year to percolate <laughs> yeah, 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 before yeah. they're fully mature. So yes. there we are. Um, so we wanted to take a minute or several to talk a bit about uh, what the show is about, our motivation for the show, and a bit about each of us. Yeah, you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So again, my name's Lyndon. Uh, I'm a Lutheran pastor here in Victoria and also um, a spiritual care provider together with a colleague here. Um, and so that's part of the reason we're on the UVic campus, why we're working together with CFUV uh, through uh, the Multiface Center. And just one thing we noticed, uh, Boston and I are part of a campus club called Inclusive Christians that is, as far as I know, the only overtly queer-affirming uh, Christian club on campus. And we noticed there's just not enough resources talking about faith, spirituality through a progressive lens, or at least not enough from where we live. So we want it rooted little bit where we are here, but uh, also with a view to talking about issues further away as well. Yeah, great. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about myself. So I am a student at the University of Victoria. Um, I'm not from Victoria originally. I grew up in Treaty 8 territory in northern Alberta, um, and I came to the University of Victoria in 2018 to, I, I did a history and indigenous studies undergraduate degree. When I first got here, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school teacher. And then pretty, pretty soon after I was like, I heard about the new indigenous law program at UVic. Um, I guess I should also say I'm indigenous. I'm Métis. Um, I always forget that part for some reason. I just assume that everyone that knows me knows it so I don't really bring it up but yeah I, I I got wind of the indigenous law program and I thought I never really thought that I could actually do it but I you know thought I was a little too dumb to get into the program but I thought I'm gonna try and I got in somehow so I'm currently in 1L in the JDJID program at UVic that's a the it's I think it has like a long kind of fancy title like Joint Degree Program in Canadian Common Law and Indigenous Legal Orders, um, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it feels kind of silly, but um, yeah, I, I'm i kind of bad at introductions, I feel like. I think you're doing a great job, oh, and uh, I think you got into that Indigenous Law Program because you're an amazing candidate and student. Well, thank you. So, um, and just to add, inspired by some of your words, too. Uh, I grew up on Treaty 4 territory in southwestern Saskatchewan, town of Swift Current. Um, spent uh, some time in Montreal, also down in Virginia, and did some kind of more community organizing and church work down there that's 
pardon me, helped inspire uh, some of the conversations we're having now that it's just so important um, for there to be dialogue between being church, doing theology, campus ministry, and then actually connecting that to concrete action in the world that none of these can really exist on their own. That's always, They're always in conversation with each other for them to be healthy. Um, so it's never an either or. So I think that's part of the compulsion and maybe we'll get into some of that backstory uh, down the road. But I think we we both have different histories, but a kind of mutual um, kind of interest in exploring faith issues through a justice lens. Absolutely. I, I'm going to throw this at you if this is okay, that we didn't discuss this before we started recording. Go for it. Um, so I, I think it was a year ago now, I was part of a small panel at UVic Multifaith, and we were talking about how our sort of religion or spirituality impacts our kind of our drive for social justice and i'm wondering if you had any thoughts because you heard from me a year ago talking about that on the panel how do you feel that your faith and your faith background affects your sort of drive for justice right well i think fundamentally again i'm a christian pastor uh, in the lutheran tradition and you look at just some of the gospel texts, and a lot of it's about Jesus going out into the streets and meeting people who are suffering in some way and spending time with them, uh, sometimes engaging in acts of healing or, or liberation, saving people from uh, dire situations. Just a lot of empathy there. And those texts call followers to do likewise. And so... Um, I think there's also a rich history of Christians doing that and being changed and transformed by it, because I don't think any of us comes into this work fully formed. It's usually when you come up uh, and confront some injustice that it can really call you to to do that work uh, uh, more thoroughly. So I, th- I think about in partly because as we're recording, this is the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the U.S., but figure revered around the world, that helped helped uh, begin um, a community prayed uh, for Martin Luther King in Lexington, Virginia. And that I went into that pretty naive because uh, we did get pushed back from hate groups and white supremacists and neo-confederates and all these folks who have guns and threatened us uh, for holding this parade that it's on the other side where you, you jump into the deep end that eventually you learn to swim, uh, hopefully, and then it can empower you to do further action. So I think it's one of these things that just kind of propels you forward with enough community support. So the danger with any of this stuff is that people can burn out if they take on too much um, and don't uh, either recruit more people to help with the work or um, if you develop any kind of weird martyr complex or something that um, you think, well, I, I need to sacrifice myself for this work so that because no one else will do it. That's usually unhealthy. <laughs> and uh, not sustainable. Um, so we saw some glimpses of those things. So I I feel like I have a re- some 
realistic expectation of what is doable and the kinds of support that's needed. Um, and it's kind of exciting to be, I've only been in Victoria for four years and uh, seeing uh, something you were a part of with the students' um, response to the Wet'suwet'en crisis, a lot of indigenous students and youth um, who had gathered in front of the legislature in downtown Victoria and was really inspired by the amount of organizing and sacrifice I saw there and to realize that, you know, what was inspiring civil rights type work in Virginia and in the U.S. and has led to Black Lives Matter, which is also present in Canada. Um, you also have this tandem organizing with indigenous groups, certainly here, and even if the extreme tensions are on the land, so often out of sight for those of us in cities, um, it was made quite visible there because there were altercations between students and police, students being dragged into police vans by Vic PD and things like that. It got quite tense at times, um, but it was sustained because there were literally hundreds of people making that possible. Yeah. But uh, And then the pandemic happened and everyone kind of went home for for some time. Yeah. So I feel like the timing is right, that we're like kind of re-emerging out into public spaces and um, it, it feels e even easier to have these conversations, which is strange because we're just in a recording booth. We're not on the streets or something. Yeah, yeah. But there's more like an electric buzz around these topics, I find. Yeah, you brought up the, the legislature protests. Um, so I don't know. So I guess I'll also mention sort of as a bit of a um, intro thing. I'm currently talking with the British Columbia Synod about like candidacy, candidacy mm -hmm. in the Lutheran Church. And so I put in my biography. Right. My, they make you write like a little autobiography like about your life and kind of the yeah. things that brought you towards. And you were mentioned in there because I remember at the legislature protest still at that point I was still I was pretty you know I so I grew up in again we can get a little bit more into this in future episodes but northern Alberta Christians are not nice in northern Alberta like they are you know they're kind of some of the worst of the worst to put it bluntly like you know very homophobic very racist all this kind of stuff and so growing up that was kind of my my idea of Christianity that I had mm -hmm. put into my head like oh doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you go into a church, you're going to be met with like hate because that's primarily in Northern Alberta, what you are met with if you decide to, you know, engage with, with religious people. And so even as far as like when I first came to Victoria, I was still pretty like would say almost hostile towards like, you know, Christianity just cause like, again, you know, and, and being indigenous, like, you know, that, obviously carries a lot of sort of baggage, you know, Christianities and especially, yeah. Anyways, I won't like <laughs> keep going and going, but being Métis, especially the Métis people have a, a long and very kind of complex history with like, say like the Catholic church where a lot of Métis people were Catholic. Um, you know, like even like my dad's baptized as Catholic. Um, but so, so 
a lot of Métis people were Catholic and practiced Catholicism, but were still persecuted by the Catholic Church and still, you know, Métis people went to residential schools. And like my own grandfather, I don't, it wasn't a residential school, but it was like a pretty, it was a Catholic school in Saskatchewan. And he kind of, before he passed, he kind of opened up a little bit and was like, you know, kind of told my family about maybe some of the abuses that he had suffered in this Catholic school growing up. So it, it, you know, it leaves a complicated sort of feeling with, with Christianity, but to go back to what I was, the point that I was trying to make at the legislature protest, I remember when you showed up, you you know, you showed up with like the collar on. And I remember at first that there was sort of like some, mentions in the group like what the heck is going on you know what i mean like what this 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 priest is showing up to this you know what i mean like it was the any support was appreciated but it was like a little bit you know like for a lot of us a little bit perplexing there because it was like huh like who's this fellow over here like just kind of mingling and being involved but he also is wearing like this collar right like it was just but it it felt like it completely like reopened my mind to the possibility because I was like, Oh, like here's a Christian person. I didn't know you at the, I didn't even know your name, but I was like, here's this Christian at this protest for like indigenous rights where like back home, you know, the Christians are the ones that are still probably to this day. I mean, as, as recent as four years ago when I was still in high school, we're saying like, you know, residential schools were a positive thing. Like they were, you know, they helped indigenous people, not, you know, there was not nothing bad that happened in them really. Or like the bad experiences were few and far between of the good, which is, you know, wild. Cause that's completely false. But so, so to see a Christian at a protest for indigenous rights, I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I was like, maybe, you know, like, like this, this completely, flies in the face of like this this stereotype that I had built in my head around Christian people being, you know, kind of scornful, hateful people. And I was like, maybe there are. So then I remember, you know, like you added me on Facebook, I think, during those. And so I like, you know, kind of like stalked you a little bit. I'm like, okay, he's a pastor, like at a Lutheran church in the city. And then I Googled like Lutheran Church of the Cross. And I was like, like you had a whole section on like, you know, like queer affirming on the website. And I was like, what like that's you know it blew my mind because like those sorts of things do not happen in in northern alberta where i'm from like at all so that also that was kind of one of the catalysts for me to be like maybe i will maybe i'll just try out going to church once in a while you know what i mean and now look at me there you go (laughs) now really involved it's uh well it's funny you say that because uh um uh, I wasn't baptized and got involved to into church until like last year and a half of undergrad. So uh, no, you know, can understand that story. Um, and I'm still uh, um, trying to figure out when it seems okay to be wearing a collar or not. I mean, moving from Virginia to here, I mean, it's very normal for clergy to wear clerical collar everywhere. I was a bit surprised moving here and almost no one did. Okay. except like to uh, an overtly worship setting or in a church setting, uh, but not much in the community. And so, I mean, now that I'm here for years, um, uh, I'm a little more self-conscious, I guess, about when I choose to wear a collar. I think I still would 
for like a public action to be, but when it's, you know, given everything that's come out about residential schools recently is also know that, you know, can be received different ways by indigenous folks. So even if you're well-intentioned, you know, they may just see, right, the priest slash pastor figure, which is problematic. So it's complicated, but I also feel like if we aren't church visible in some way, then like, yeah, how do we kind of go out on the streets and, and say, hey, yeah, there was a different way for us to be Christian in some overt way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a. I think as many things, a continuing conversation. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that had a. Well, yeah, I was gonna a say a good effect. It blew my mind. So. Yeah, and the TRC committee at Church of the Cross um, made a food donation to the food tents, and so it was important to, uh, to have like the concrete thing. We brought boxes of oranges and maybe some other fruit, apples or something. Um, cause they, they had no end of granola bars, but not a lot of fresh fruit. So, uh, I remember that being really important for the, the TRC to have this like concrete kind of gift offering to those who are gathering because not everyone, as you know, in the TRC committee is f- fully physically mobile or able to stand in the cold for long periods of time and things like that. Um, so I, I think those things are, are meaningful and can have a lasting impact, as you've just um, said. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, without the community there, like, we would not have. Like, I think that there wasn't a lot of recognition just because, like like we were saying, like, the pandemic happened and then everything just fizzled out immediately. Just because, you know, especially because a lot of people that are involved in actions are usually, like, you know, like, either disabled or, like, you know, immunocompromised people, like, Though, you know, those people are yeah. usually putting themselves on the line before anyone else. And so we couldn't really gather, you know, 400 people in front yeah. of the legislature without, you know, risking people's lives. Right. So I, but, I, but because of how fast everything ended, I feel like there wasn't a lot of recognition of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, without without the greater Victoria community like there to the, those that were supporting us, like TRC bringing us food and stuff like that. It, it never would have been sustainable. Because, right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I the the response was amazing. I remember, I'd like, yeah, the food tent, full, and, like, everyone was, like, getting to, you know, like, there was pizza all the time and fruit and yeah. food constantly coming in, and it was, like, it was really fantastic, you know, that we were, because, you know, a lot of us were, like, young and, like, students and that kind of stuff, so, like, we would never have been able to, one, afford all that, but two, also had the means to, like, get it all there, transport it there. And so, yeah, that was, I, I think there should be a little bit more shout out for the community on like, mm. you know, from those protests. Cause it was like, or those actions. Cause it was, yeah, without the community, we wouldn't have survived. So it was fantastic. Well, and I mean, you touch on something about the need for accompaniment. I think sometimes churches and religious folks generally wonder, well, what is our role? And it's not necessarily to be the leaders or to steer things, right? Um, but to ask, to listen and like how, and ask, how can we help? Yeah. And there were very concrete asks like we need this. Yeah. Or can you give people rides or, you know, are are there camping materials or there was that tent at one point from the anarchist book fair that was erected (laughs) on the lawn. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, those are all important things. And as you said, things shut down pretty quickly. And uh, I think part of the compulsion for me to want to do some of this kind of storytelling is um, the narrative <clears throat> that took over on the streets and in front of the legislature, sadly, was often driven by anti-vaxxers and convoy folks yeah. who um, um, had much more support in numbers than I think many of us realized that we kind of woke up to it a bit late. There were so many protests in front of hospitals, in front of the Ministry of Health. And I think some of us were sleeping on that a bit. One, we didn't want to go stand amongst 100 or 200 people not wearing masks in the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Have those people breathing on us, uh, which, you know, they would relish in and why are you afraid? Why are you wearing a mask? Oh, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, and they were harassing healthcare workers and stuff. So they basically had a kind of low level harassment campaign going on that was nationwide. Yeah. And I think too often movements like that are dismissed by progressive people of like, oh, well, they're a minority or, oh, well, um, you know, you can't you can't reason with them anyways. I mean, that might be true, but they had a pretty lasting effect. And it culminated in that big push on Ottawa and they shut down the capital city yeah. for some time. Um, and had a pretty big effect here in Victoria as well. So I think what we we need to be mindful of is not to be sleeping when those movements pick up. Yeah. Um, and not just to be on the defense constantly and say, no, get vaccinated. Like, yeah, obviously, please get vaccinated. Yeah. But we can't just say, no, the opposite of what they said. Like, if you're just playing defense, you're not really putting a message, a positive message forward. So yeah. I think having these kinds of conversations or having other kinds of uh, things you're organizing around and building up community are, are so important. So that's that's sort of on my mind is those people still have momentum behind them and they yeah. had billions of dollars behind them um and they're still here there's st i was gonna say I, I live like a block from the legislature and every saturday there are still yeah you know the numbers dwindle a little bit now because like it's not as like but anywhere from like five to 30 people every saturday are still at the legislature with like their signs you know the the old they use like a weird old like canadian colonial flag for some like i don't that's like some white supremacist thing that i don't really fully understand but yeah. they wave that down there mm -hmm. every saturday mm -hmm. you know and like they have all of like the yeah and this is a thing <laughs> that i think a lot of canadians are uncomfortable talking about is that there are overlapping circles between these groups and one of the reason they've been so successful is you have these you have conspiracy theorists, so especially QAnon folks. Oh, yeah. That stuff gets racist real fast. So you've got conspiracy folks. You've got people invested in racism. You have anti-science folks in the midst of that, anti-vax. Um, outright white supremacy gets caught up in that. And um, they, they try to shield themselves in saying, well, we're just having a big party anyways. 
And not everyone here is all those things. And it's true. Not everyone is all those things. But they don't exclude those people. Yeah. They don't say, hey, racists, go home. Hey, white supremacists, you're not welcome here. I heard someone down in the legislature in the spring um, who was saying anti-Semitic stuff. And they just kind of like someone elbowed him and say, no, not right now. Yeah. Right. They didn't say that's wrong. They said, no, not right now. This makes us look bad. Yeah. Because you had a recorder down there, right? Um, yeah. I've, I was down there one day with a recorder. That time, um, uh, I think I was with a very small counter protest group. And one of those times we were across the street even because they were just so colossally huge. Oh, yeah. So we tried to just occupy like a tiny piece of sidewalk another time we stood on the same they were a bit smaller we stood on the same side and they tried to just blast us with noise out of there like someone held a megaphone in our faces and blasted a podcast extremely loudly in our faces to the point that some poor kid i think who was like you know in high school or something you know there were different groups who had organized um, he he like physically crumpled in a kind of panic attack. He physically couldn't take the intensity, which was the is the purpose yeah. of it, yeah. right? They were kind of beating down upon us with noise and intensity and yelling at us and trying to catch us up in conversation that went nowhere. Um, and so I remember just having to tell whoever I said, "Who brought this person?" Like take they take them out of there right now. You leave now. Yeah. Like they yeah. physically are collapsing. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously people's health priority. Get yeah. out of here. And so thankfully someone did that. Um, but yeah, I think if you haven't ex- been exposed to something like that, yeah, if you stand next to a hundred people who are very loud and intense, you're gonna expect that they're gonna shower all that intensity uh, upon you yeah um but i think we we made a mark that uh they were put off their game yeah they were put on their back foot a little bit and sometimes they just need a little pushback because when they sit there and wave flags every day for weeks on end and there's no pushback other than people trying to ignore them yeah uh ignoring hate doesn't really make hate go away no, no, you really need a strategy to push back and say there are other voices here, and we actually don't appreciate you bringing hate into our city. Yeah, and that needs to be said to them, to their faces. So, yeah, it's and it's hard, like for you know, like because like okay, yeah, like I said, like I live so close by. Um, yeah, keeping an eye on at the time here. We should probably wrap up soon, <laughs> but. Um, like I live so close by, so I pass them every day, and like it's hard when it's just you know. It, when it's yeah they're so much greater in number like i remember one time it was just myself i was walking home from like something and i saw like there was like five people and i was like you know what every day yeah like i walk by i don't really sometimes i'll give them a thumbs down as i walk by but i'm like the today i'm gonna like go up and like just say like hey you know like they had all these no ma- vax mandate or whatever and i'm like it hasn't been like that for like eight months or a year or something like that and before I could even, I said, hey, you guys know you don't, all five of them were screaming at me. Like, didn't even, like, they didn't even know what I was going to say yet. And they were like, you're a sheep, like, just screaming, like, and so, 
me being the person that I am, I'm a little bit grumpy and I'm a little bit passive aggressive. They had all these signs propped up against the the side of the the concrete thing. Right. And as I was walking away, I just started stepping on. I just started walking on their signs because I was like, well, like I can't reason with them with the words. So I just was like, you know, just oops, I'm gonna go over to the left a little bit. And like one one of them, like actually like two like two of these big guys, like actually started like running at like you know started chasing after me like they were going to physically you know like apprehend me for stepping on these cardboard signs so it is scary like to be you know like you can't really because they're like you know they the thing is is like oh geez yeah we don't (laughs) we gotta keep an eye on the time we only have the studio booked for like another seven minutes but um they know that they can get away with whatever they want, which is the hard yeah. part. Well, like, that's the reason they do it. Yeah. Like indigenous, if you're an indigenous person down there, like, well, like you said, like, you know, students being assaulted by Vic PD and thrown into the back of vans and stuff like that for sitting on a step. Whereas these people, you know, they're like harassing people. They're screaming at people. They're throwing things around. They're being like, you know, they are like seriously disturbing the peace of like of the downtown. Yeah. And, Vic PD just kind of like you know covers their eyes while they drive by like as if nothing's going on and I'm sure that if one of them decided to you know punch me that day because I stepped on some signs I probably would have ended up in trouble over it not them you know what I mean like it's just like it's so yeah it's so ingrained in the system like these yeah anyways yeah I mean I was out there one time credit to my mother who who joined me on one of the more intense days and, uh, yeah, I remember uh, some guy was trying to get in the break up our very small group. Yeah. And, you know, there's like 100 plus of them and maybe 12 of us. And he was kind of elbowing his way in. And he, like, shoved my oh, yeah, my I mother. About that. Yeah. And she was able to stand up for herself. But, yeah, police were 10 feet away, said nothing. Didn't do anything. Yeah. So... Uh, and there's cars driving by right there, so it's kind of a precarious uh, place there to be shoved around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it really is when it's white men and white women uh, doing the provocation, they have quite a bit of latitude that Absolutely. that they're given in a way that, as you say, indigenous students um, are not. No. Um. So, yeah, I think those are themes. That we'll revisit. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Because they are very topical right now. And it's really one of the questions of our day is how do we organize um, a collective movement, both with churches, people in communities, different religious groups, student groups, all of the above, to to build community, to state it positively, how do we build community in ways that give life? And that people flourish, because that's what we want to do. We don't just want to react to to hate groups, but we also can't ignore them yeah. and let them trample over our cities and our spaces and elbow people literally out of public spaces. Yeah, we can't let them do that because that's that's how you get fascism creep yeah. when you get kind of authoritarian groups that think oh there's very little consequences for our actions we'll do more and every every month and every year they do a little more until right and they start running candidates we saw that for city council for school trustees oh yeah yeah, for provincial government for federal government 
like they're trying to get into positions of power so they can um, have even more influence. So we can't ignore that. And we see what's happening in the U.S., which is just total collapse yeah. in terms of democratic order. Um, and we know how much influence the U.S. has upon well-being in Canada because they're just so much bigger yeah. and our number one trading partner. So, um, And the fact that we are in Victoria physically, we're closer to Washington State than we are to the lower mainland yeah. uh, of Canada. And so, um, yeah, we just can't ignore all these realities. And at the same time, Again, we don't want to feel despair. Or no, it's okay. Actually, I'm gonna. This is what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. As a shout out to John Thetaminol, who's a professor at Union Theological Seminary and an Anglican priest here in Victoria. So splits his time between both coasts. Oh, wow. And yeah, he was trying to tell me that it's okay to lean into despair, but that it's religious practices and liturgies that rejuvenate us. Right. So we need those religious practices to sustain movements. Because if all you have is despair and cynicism, Doesn't that's it. You're, you're done. Yeah. But if you have religious um, practices to draw on that give life, that's amazing. Yeah. That's unstoppable. Yeah. Um, and that's where social movements are born, when you can marry those together and, and kind of keep kind of keep them all a bit healthy just like we have to keep the congregation life healthy we have to check in with people who are already there people who are homebound i mean we do some of that work together at the church um and then we also need to make sure we're it's multi-generational that we're doing things for kids teens students young adults um people who are single young families middle-aged folks elders like you kind of need the whole gamut yeah there isn't any group that could be excluded for the whole body to be healthy and then in the midst of doing that like one thing that also brings health is when we work together those who are called to do that work like a trc committee to look beyond and say how can we lift up our neighbors so i'm kind of excited about um opportunities right now because as dire as the social situations and economic situations and climate and all that are all the more reason uh for us to be having these conversations absolutely that's i think that's a great thought and that's a great thought to end our first all right first episode on thank you everyone for listening we are very both very excited to finally get this off the ground we like we said we've been working on recording even just one episode for a very long time so to actually have something is fantastic um and we're gonna kind of so some episode like most episodes i think will just be the two of us kind of conversating you'll pick pick a topic discuss it kind of our experiences or our thoughts on it and we are also hoping to have some guests at some point Mm -hmm. like locally and maybe i don't know what you say like internationally like maybe some people down in the states but just yeah, we're gonna we're gonna work on that. Yeah, I think our our first priority is is making a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've had to like uh, tamp down expectations a bit and focus on just getting it done. Yeah, and then add pieces little by little as we're able to. Yeah, 
Um, and I don't want to forget our thank yous on the first episode. We need to thank the people at CFUV yes. who give us access to this recording equipment and space and will eventually uh, be hosting our podcast episodes on their platform. We need to thank uh, Multifaith Center at UVic who support our work yeah. and give us space for doing creative projects. And also need to thank Lutheran Church of the Cross and Victoria who make my time and our work possible Absolutely. as well. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be more thank yous beyond that, but for sure those three. Yeah, yeah, for the first episode at least. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sounds good.